out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Or could you use a little company? Hour two has begun, 7.03. 23 degrees here in New Brunswick. We're on the fourth floor of the College F Student Center, though, so we're warm as of right now. Sean at Carney, joined by Brandon and Gideon Fox for Wednesday Crew. Just finished hour one, talked a little bit about the NFL playoffs, made our locks of the week, and talked a little bit about hockey as well and the rising popularity of the sport. But now let's transition into Rutgers basketball. Last night, just an absolute disastrous loss to the Maryland Terrapins, losing 68-60. to And I don't know about you guys, but I think that's the final nail in the coffin in terms of their March hopes. Yeah, Sean, absolutely right. And, you know, going into that game, going in, I mean, even after Rutgers started dropping some of these games, you know, earlier in the season, like the UMass game and all those other games, um, people are like, okay, it's, it's Jersey Mike's Arena. You know, it's worth 10 points. You're going to sell it out with 8,000 people night after night. And the crowd was great last night. The crowd stayed you know, energized throughout the whole game. They tried to get something going. And going into this stretch of games, everyone's like, okay, you know what? Rutgers could win some of their home games, right? Rutgers, you know, we, we beat Maryland on the road by 11 points. We're like, okay, well, at home, how could Rutgers possibly lose to a team we beat on the road? And then Rutgers played against that Iowa game. Again, Rutgers played some of the best defense I've ever seen them play. I mean, Rutgers held an offense that scored 75 points to 46. They held Keegan Murray, the best scorer in the country, to 13 points. Um, that was fantastic. And look, we lost an air one on the road, but usually for the Big Ten, it's, and for Rutgers especially, it's okay to lose a road game. Right? They lost against Minnesota only by three. Could have been a great win had they, had they edged that one out. But no one had Maryland circled as a loss. Absolutely no one had that circle on a loss. Sean, I know you were on the call last night with our general manager, Jake Schmid. You're probably pretty excited going to that call. You could, you know, it should have been an exciting game at home. And just the first play was exciting, the cliff alley-oop. And then after that, it was just downhill. Yeah, I said this to Jake uh, while I was calling because at this point, the game was pretty much done. But I said, look, the way the night started, it looked like Rutgers were going to take the roof off the building. And then they just finished the rest of the game just completely flat. They had no offensive rhythm. They were getting jammed in the paint. Um, Maryland was just bullying them throughout the night. Uh, their, their big men were killing them. And then you had Fats Russell and Eric Ayala who just couldn't miss a shot, uh, even if they wanted to. Like They were shooting from well outside the arc and hitting them. And those shots, there's nothing you can do about. But they, they were just sloppy, uh, Gideon. And... Um, yeah, like I said, I don't I don't see them making it to the national tournament. There are talks about them possibly making the NIT. I having followed this team and having followed Steve Peichel for the, for the past four years, I don't see him accepting a bid to the NIT. I I think he just has uh, too much respect for himself in this program to accept a bid, and you know he's just gonna say, all right, we're on to next year. Um, I think. I think we as fans, we have to accept that this team is going to go into a rebuild over the next couple of years with Gio and Ron leaving at the end of this year. And um, But we, we have some young guys. We have Jaden Jones. We have Jalen Miller. We have Cliff. Um, these, these guys are going to be cornerstones going forward, but it's going to take some time before we get back into uh, national status. Well, you know what? Getting the feeling of um, from the kids in, in the Zoom classes today, you know, my Rutgers affiliated uh, student shout out to Global Sports Business Program. Um, you know, a lot of the kids were disappointed, you know, because I think I think like you said, everybody was hoping for another March Madness you know tournament bid. Um, for me, 
basketball isn't my strong suit, but I also, you know, do some camera work for our vision and just watching the team play. It's just been so up and down, you know, this season, which kind of is, is it, it explains their record, you know, 11 and eight. And I just think that with a team that was so talented going into the season, and it's been kind of a little bit, like you said, caught flat footed. I look at, you have the game against Purdue where it was just like that. That was such a special game. I was so happy I was able to watch it. And just, you know, being especially for somebody who was at Rutgers for undergrad and, you know, just didn't get to live through some great sports years like my cousins did, um, you know, especially football and everything. Very, very lackluster. Just to see that, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like Rutgers athletics, all this stuff. It's like it's the best. And then they drop it against Seton Hall. You know, and I look at that as you had so much momentum going into the game. You could have done something really well back to back. You know, you take the New Jersey, you know, title for for Rutgers against Seton Hall, and you you can't do it. And then, like we talked about, they beat Maryland the first time around, and then now they lose. So it's just there's going to be some sort of transition in the next couple of years, and it's disappointing because again they had all the pieces in place and they just couldn't put it together. No, they couldn't. And now you look forward to what their schedule is like and the road gets well a way way harder because you go into february your first game is against north well obviously they have a game against nebraska this saturday but starting february their first game is against northwestern and they play eight opponents in february six of them are currently ranked in the top 25 as of right now you got michigan state you got wisconsin you got purdue again you got illinois um, Northwestern, although they may not be ranked, they are a very good team. They beat Michigan State last weekend. Um, you also got Michigan, who again Rutgers beat already, but uh, you know they're not that great. But they were AP top twenty-five preseason, still you know in the running for making it to the tournament, and so that's a really good team that will be played away, and we know what Rutgers' away woes look like. It doesn't matter if they're playing a good team or not. They just can't seem to find a way to win on the road. They couldn't do it against Minnesota, who's fielding seven scholarship players uh, on Saturday and just got destroyed from from the three-point line. Um, Minnesota shot well above 50% in that game and ended up coming away with a win that just, you know, as, as, as Rutgers fans, or at least me, I was expecting a dominant win in Minnesota that would have really boosted Rutgers in the net rankings in a way win um, and a Big Ten conference win. And obviously that, that didn't happen. And now with the loss yesterday, it's going to further catapult them in the net rankings. They're already at 108 right now, I believe. I'm not sure what it is after yesterday, but can't be that good. And this team can't make the tournament unless they're top 60 in the net rankings. I forget what the lowest ranked team was. Last year in the net rankings, but uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't past 100. And I, if if Rutgers has any chance to make the tournament, they're going to have to pull off a miracle. And that means almost going undefeated the rest of the way. Yeah, Sean, you're absolutely right. We're at the point of the season. And, you know, the way the season has gone, we're, there, there are no more losses for the Scarlet Knights. You you can't be like and, – and you're absolutely right, Sean. The schedule gets – so hard. You're playing Wisconsin twice. You're playing Ohio State. You're playing Michigan State. Uh, you're going to Michigan. You're going to Indiana. Um, Rutgers right now stands at 11 and eight, five and four in the Big Ten. You know that that those four losses. You know they they were just so. You know last night was just 
just so uncharacteristic of this Rutgers team is they were just getting I mean Maryland looked fantastic Fats Russell had a career day of shooting he had 23 he had 23 points he was 5 for 8 from 3 7 for 16 from the floor 4 for 5 from the line Eric Ayala was two rebounds away from a double double he had 22 points he was 5 for 9 from 3 I mean these guys were just launching threes the entire game Rutgers could just could not find a way to stop them and you know We've we've seen Geo Baker come back to what we know him as. Geo Baker kind of took a little bit of a slump a couple weeks ago, but Geo Baker looked fantastic against Minnesota. I mean, he was shooting the same way that Fats Russell and Eric Ayala were shooting last night. I mean, he was hitting shots from everywhere. And last night, Geo Baker looked flat. Ron Harper Jr. with NBA aspirations was airballing threes from the top of the key last night. And that's just if if Rutgers wants to even have a chance against Michigan State, you can't have Ron Harper Jr. airballing threes. No, I think. Ron Harper Jr. and Geo Baker go hand-in-hand in in terms of leading this team. It can't just be one of them. It has to be both of them. And so it makes it so much harder when you have a guy of Ron Harper Jr.'s talent not stepping up and hitting those shots. He couldn't buy a shot uh, from outside the arc. Uh, to you know, really put put Rutgers back in that game. He he couldn't do it either against Minnesota. He he wasn't shooting that well against Minnesota either. And I would say really he hasn't shot well since the initial Maryland game in College Park, where he had a career high and made threes. Um, ever since then, it's, it just looks like he's lost his mojo, and unfortunately, it's come at the worst possible time because Rutgers just can't afford too many of too many more of these losses well and ron harper came back this season because he wanted to go back to the to the tournament am i correct in saying that Uh, yeah yeah him and geo wanted to run it back uh for one more year so what has this done this season to their stock going into the nba what do you guys think i think geo uh i just don't see an nba future for him right now i think he may have to go overseas maybe develop a little bit more before you know nba scouts even consider him ron harper jr i think he's still getting drafted this year although the last you know maybe couple of weeks may have dropped the stock a little he had the maryland game in the middle where he just went off and that's probably as good as i've seen him play um but yeah these last couple of games have just not been a good look and so i think if he can finish this game strong i I see him going in the first round um, but as of right now, maybe like late second round for for Harper. Yeah, Sean, I agree with that. And I think coming into this year, or finishing last year, um, and status was still unknown about Ron and Gio, and they put their names in the NBA uh, draft, and they were getting workouts with teams. Everybody thought that Ron had the better shot than Gio. Ron just has a more NBA-style game. He's able to hit that three ball consistently, um, albeit last night was not his night with that. He was 0 for 4 from deep. Um but Ron has that NBA play. He's also able to work his way inside, which makes him a little bit more unique. We saw that towards the end of the game last night. He was able to muscle his way down low in the low post and able to put up some shots from from inside. Um, but, you know, finishing last year, once we saw that those two guys put their name in the NBA draft, and, of course, nobody knew if it was serious or not. Maybe, you know, nobody knew if it was just to, you know, just to get, generate some interest. I just, I, like you, Sean, I just can't see Gio going straight to the NBA. Um, he just doesn't possess that same skill set that Ron Harper Jr. has. And, you know, Ron also has that name recognition. Everybody knows who his dad is. Everybody, you know, he put Rutgers on the map. Um, him and Gio put, absolutely put Rutgers on the map. Ron hit that shot against Purdue. Um, people know Ron Harper Jr.'s names. They're scouted at Rutgers games looking at Ron Harper. And, of course, they're probably, you know, keeping the, the corner of their eye on Gio Baker. But Ron Harper Jr., I think, definitely has the higher draft prospects. 
Yeah, and Sean, same as you, late second round, unless he somehow just completely sw- you know flips around and has a f- an amazing 10 games to end out the year. I, I don't see Ron going any higher than middle second round. Right, and that him flipping that switch not only helps himself, but it helps the team because they're in desperation mode. It's now or never for the Scarlet Knights, and if they can't put together a winning streak, they are looking at missing out on the tournament. Um. I, you know, for the first time since I, I'm going to say 2019, just because they should have made the tournament in 2020 um, with the pandemic, it it put a dent in, in those hopes. But uh, now we look at the future of this team, and, and I brought this up initially. Ron and Geo are not going to be here next year um, for sure. You know, last year we thought, you know, they may be here, they may not be here, but this is officially their final year. So you look at the youth of this team, really the three key guys I'm looking at are Jalen Miller, Jaden Jones, and Cliff Amori. Those three guys you have to build around, and you just have to add some more shooting to this team. I think Coach Peichel, his philosophy, I think he can implement the defense um, just through his own lessons. But this team has to be a scoring first team, so I really trust Pico as a recruiter. Um, I know he's gonna fi- he's gonna have some good finds like he did with Geo Baker. Geo Baker he just found out of nowhere from Derry, New Hampshire, brought him over, and now he's really a cornerstone for this team. If he can find a couple more of guys like that and bring them in, this could potentially be another you know tournament contender. And maybe two to three years down the line. I don't see it next year and probably not the year after, but maybe going forward. It's just a tough time um, to, well, it's a tough pill to swallow because uh, the last two to three years have just been so fun watching this team. And now you're seeing it all unravel and the reality is setting in that the landscape of this program has completely changed. Yeah, it's completely changed. And I think. You know, Sean, you're absolutely right about those core three guys. I've liked what I've seen from Cliff so far. Last night he had 13 rebounds, 11 points. We've come to expect a double-double from Cliff, and we haven't, you know, we know everybody kind of jokes about it. Cliff wants to pull the three ball every so often. If he could develop that, I mean, that's just such a nice bonus to his game. Um, you know, of course, we don't, have to, we don't have to push our starting center to start knocking down threes. This isn't the NBA. This is the Big Ten. You know, it's a much more defensive league than the NBA. Um, we could, you know, we have guys like Kale McConnell to play defense, you know, that help Cliff out. We don't need Cliff to be pulling those threes. I've liked, I've really, really liked what I see from Cliff so far. Jalen Miller looked fantastic last night. He only played seven minutes, but he was, he's putting the clamps on players. I mean, he's not afraid to get in your face and he's small too, so he can move. He's shifty. He could go side to side very quickly. Um, he's very attentive to the man that he's guarding. He's all over the place. I love watching Jalen Miller play. And of course, you know, Jalen Miller, or excuse me, Jaden Jones, we haven't seen too much of him so far. But, I mean, he came into Rutgers' build as the next best shooter at Rutgers. So we'll see what happens with that. And I think what's going to be interesting is next year, right now we have Geo Baker leading this core group of guys. Next year that's going to be Paul Mulcahy. Right? You're going to have Paul Mulcahy probably playing the, you know, starting at, at point guard um, in Geo Baker's footsteps. And then I'm interested to see how a guy like Paul, who plays such a gritty game, is able to gel with guys like Cliff Amori, who's, of course, going to start at the five. Um, guys like Jalen Miller, who could earn a starting spot next year, who also plays a very gritty game. I'm excited to see how Paul. I don't know if I'm excited. I'm a little. I'm a little nervous about Geo leaving, but I'm. I'm interested to see the way that Paul fills in Geo's shoes. Yeah, and 
The issue that I think everyone's had with Paul Mulcahy is his lack of development as a scorer. He's been really good as a ball handler, but he just can't seem to generate uh, efficient production in terms of offense. And hopefully he's able to take that next up, next step up next season because this team's really going to need it um, with, with their two biggest offensive contributors leaving. Paul McKay is going to step up. Another guy I want to talk about is the development of Dean Reber. I, you see the trust that Coach Peichel has in, in Dean as a backup center. He was playing in some very crucial minutes last night and even against Minnesota. That's not something you typically see uh, from a backup center. But, yeah, he, here he was uh, playing down the stretch in the second half against Maryland and Minnesota. And he's going to be huge as a backup center going forward because – Cliff, we know he likes to, not likes to, but he tends to get into some foul trouble very early, and so the lack of a uh, um, you know po- positive and efficient backup center killed this team early on. Now you see Reber developing, and that gives Rutgers the option to implement him in in times when Cliff has to check out when he when he's accumulated two to three fouls. So him going forward is going to be huge for this team. Yeah, of course, and I think, you know, that foul thing, we got used to our centers being in foul trouble with Miles Johnson, and Cliff, of course, is going to get into foul trouble. That's just what happens when you're a center in the Big Ten going against guys like Hunter Dickinson. You're just going to take up fouls. That's just what happens. Cliff had two fouls last night, and he he's a low fouling player, and I think that could really be used to Rutgers' advantage, not even because of the lack of depth at center that we've seen so far, lack of developed depth, um, but just because you don't want to have any of your players in foul trouble. And, of course, Paul ended the night with four fouls, but I like what I seen. Cliff plays clean, and I think he plays a little too clean sometimes. Um, there are a lot of times last night where guys like were blowing around, and like Eric Ayala had eight rebounds. Eric Ayala is like six inches shorter than Cliff. Cliff should not be giving up all those rebounds to a guy like Eric Ayala. Cliff should be boxing him out. You pick up a foul here and there, okay, that's fine. That's how we're going to try to develop our backup center. So, you know, I I like what I see from Cliff so far, but I do want him to get a little bit more physical, a little bit more gritty, and you know. Eric Ayala should not be having a 6'5 player. Forget about just Eric Ayala. A 6'5 player who, who's also scoring should not be putting up eight rebounds against Cliff Amori. Do you think he can develop that tenacity? Is that something that he can kind of try and master and perfect? Or is it something that you can't really teach? It's something that comes natural. Look, I think if Miles Johnson were a year younger and Cliff, were, was, and Cliff was the backup center behind Miles Johnson, I think that would have been huge. But Steve Peichel is a coach who develops. He's not a coach that nabs the five-star recruits look maybe if Rutgers changes completely that'll be Rutgers but Steve Peichel just develops players and that's what Sean was saying he found some player out of Derry New Hampshire who nobody was talking about and turned him into a legend at Rutgers and completely turned you know turned around this basketball program and turned into something reputable a team that made the tournament last year would have made the tournament the year before um and I you know Cliff is in the right place if he wants to develop Peichel will help him develop Peichel's very defensive-minded um, so it's not like Pike would, is going to make Cliff work on shooting his three ball. He's going to he's going to make sure Cliff works on boxing. He's going to make sure Cliff works on getting those rebounds. So I think yes, it definitely is. Cliff is still young. He's a sophomore. Um, he's still got plenty of time. I do think that's something that he can improve on. Um, it just has to be done now before Cliff gets too used to this style of play. Now I know you guys talked about you know the people that you're excited for for next season. Still looking at this season. And you can answer, you know, Gio and Ron, but who have been like the biggest disappointments for you? I mean, has it been the coaching or has it been mostly on the players? And if so, who would it be? Yeah, that's a really good question. 
and I hate to say this because I've loved Gio his entire career, but I think Gio Baker, he, he's definitely taken a step down from how I'm used to seeing him playing. He, he's definitely uh, made up for these past couple of games. Obviously, they've been losses, but I, I've seen shades of 2019-2020 Gio um, in, in Minnesota and last night against Maryland. But his lack of offense has definitely killed this team. I just don't see see the same fire from him. Another player I'm disappointed in is Paul Mulcahy. Um, he's been a defensive liability. Offensively, just hasn't been productive. Um, averaging less than 10 points a game. I know he doesn't start. But as a point guard and, and for a four-star recruit that Paul came in as, I just don't see him living up to what I thought he would be. I'm I'm really hoping he takes that next step up next year, especially because he's going to be the full-time starter as the team's point guard um, going forward after Gio leaves. But if he can't develop into a pure scorer, then that's really going to cause problems for this team next year. And so what I've seen from him so far this year, it doesn't look like he's going to take that step up. But, you know, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, there, there's definitely some hope. Um, I think from what I've seen when I'm when I'm at the games doing the filming, it's always when Paul takes a three point shot, everyone's like, ah, ah, and it's like the disappointment because it just it's either an air ball or it hits the rim, bounces off, and everything. So, but Gideon, for you, what, what who's been like one of the bigger disappointments for Rutgers basketball this season? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Brendan, you're completely right about. Paul shooting from three. You know, I always joke with my friends. Paul's good for one corner three a game, and that's yeah, me, it. Me and Gideon have talked about this. It's always it's always got to be the left or right corner, but that yeah, no. And it's, it's one exactly. a game too. Exactly, maybe two on a good night, <laughs> but that's it. If, once he hits that shot, like let, you know, let him drive in, and you know, I'm fine if Paul hits one three a game and he finds his shot and fine, you know, that's the left or right corner. Fine, that's your spot. We'll we'll run a play to, to get you there, and you'll you'll take one or two shots from there if they go and they go in great. If not, not, but. Paul plays so much bigger. Paul's huge, first of all. Paul Paul's very big. I'm a, you know, it'd be cool to see the way that he plays the point next year. Assuming he gets a starting the starting job at the point. He's big, he's aggressive, he's physical, and he plays way bigger than his size. Paul is not afraid of anybody. Paul will bump bodies with anybody. I mean, I, I always go back to last year when at a Paul was wearing a mask because he busted his nose um in a, for a couple of games. And I forgot who Rutgers was playing. Um, but Paul like, you know, played the game. He had a great game, whatever, maybe a double double, ten and ten, something like that. Um, in the post game press conference, Paul still wearing his mask, puts up his hand to the camera, and his pinky was completely out of shape. It was like bent in four different ways. Everybody's like, "Paul, when did that happen?" He's like, "Oh, like you know, like twenty minutes into the game tonight." And like Paul just doesn't get hurt. Like that man's made of titanium. He, his lack of development of scoring though has started to overshadow his defense, and his defense has been slipping too. Um, but a guy like Paul Mulcahy is a guy to go up for any rebound against anybody. He does not care how tall you are. He does not care if you're Hunter Dickinson. He's going up for a rebound. But I mean, that was of Paul McKay of the of last year and the year before was that this year he's just been slipping and I think he's been he's been trying to shoot more during the games but it's just not working and now he's kind of caught in this weird in between place where this guy who got really used to playing defense in his first two years and did a fantastic job of it maybe put up you know seven points a night dished out like six assists um, you know grabbed seven rebounds um, we don't really see that stat line with Paul anymore and that's a very Paul stat line right. Eight rebounds, seven points, seven assists. If Paul, you know, Paul, that that's Paul. Paul had pretty much had that um, against Iowa. I think he had five, six, and seven. And I'm completely fine with that. If Paul puts up five points a game, grabs seven rebounds, six assists, that's exactly what he's there for. He he provides a spark too. 
Um, he could be energetic. I think, you know, the spark plug that we've been going to right now has been Andre Hyatt. But I think someone that I'm disappointed in, besides for Paul, um, uh, you know, this isn't fully his fault. I don't really know where the blame falls on this one. But Jaden Jones, and I know this is technically his first full season. You know, he came to Rutgers a little bit early last year. But I know he's young. I know it's his first year. I just kind of want to see a little bit more of him. Um, and I know Pike you know, still coaching to go to the tournament, of course, as a Big Ten coach should. But, I, you know, I just haven't seen – and when Jaden Jones has played, he hasn't really done much less. And he had five – he played five minutes and put zero stats in the stat book. Um Versus guys like Jalen Miller, who Jalen Miller didn't spend any, you know, he didn't come to Rutgers early last year. But Jalen Miller, of course, more defensive-minded than Jaden Jones, has been fantastic and has been doing his job. But Jaden Jones is supposed to be this offense mastermind, this offensive powerhouse, and he's just not really, I haven't really, we haven't really seen that from him. And of course, you know, he's not getting crazy big minutes. He's getting deep bench minutes. He's not even in the rotation, but just a little bit let down by that. And you mentioned Paul's stat line, and I think like you touched on, if his baseline is like five points a game, I like to see a guy that's fine, you know, baseline five points, but you should exceed that too a little bit more. And it's just, I feel like that he's gone sort of the opposite way a lot more than not. I feel like that with him, it's been more, okay, you'll shoot five, seven points, but then you'll disappear. It'll be zero, you know, and then you'll, you'll have the one aberration where it's like 15 points, you know, per game. And it's like, oh my God, where's this, where's this guy been all season? Um, but then it's just been so inconsistent. And it more often than not, it's been zero points or you know below five, uh, and it just hasn't shown up. So I think going into the next season, he definitely has to refine himself as a shooter. Um, I think if he does take on more of a leadership role, sometimes guys kind of uh, step up and they rise to the occasion, and maybe that will influence his play and become a better player. But again, it's almost like you want to believe, but seeing's believing, you know. And so far, we haven't really seen that much from him this season. Exactly. We believe, like, seeing is absolutely believing, and we saw and we believed the last two years. I, you know, I think everybody was singing Paul's praises. And I think a big criticism of Paul the last two years is that he doesn't score. Um, but like you're saying, if your baseline is five points, there's other ways that you could you can make up for that and only putting up five points a night. Um, and if, of course, this Rutgers basketball team is playing the way they should, five points from Paul is fine because Ron's putting up 20, Gio's putting up 15. Um, you know, Cliff throws in another 12, 13, 14, maybe 15. So, you know, Paul. Of course, you know, I, I want to believe, I want to believe. Like we have the last year's, Brendan, but I mean, you're right. Seen is believing, and we just were not seeing that last night. Paul had no points in 28 minutes last night. Yeah, no, and, and what, again, going back to his position, because he plays point guard, you expect your point guard to be a scorer as well as a guy who can control the pace of the game and really see the the, the court the best out of, out of your five guys that are on the court. He definitely sees the court pretty well, right? He leads the team in assists per game. But I just don't see the scoring that, that this team needs. And especially when this when this team's been in an offensive rut, we need guys like Paul to step up. And if he's going to take over the reins of this offense next year, then I got to see some you know accuracy in terms of shooting. It just doesn't seem like he can hit shots consistently, um, especially from different ranges. Uh, like Gideon said, and you know, this... Even though we joke about it, it's true. Like he can really only shoot from the corner. It doesn't look like he can, he can get that wing shot to fall or even a straightaway shot. And w- having lost Jacob Baker, or Jacob Baker, Jacob Young last year, I think it's it's been a bigger loss than people have uh, thought of, thought of it to be. He was the only consistent three point shooter, uh, you know. And for as 
inconsistent he was, he was still the the most consistent three-point shooter on this team, especially after uh, Harper just completely forgot how to shoot the ball towards the end of last year. Um, He was the only guy that could take a three-point shot and make it. So, you know, losing him has just killed this team even more than losing Miles, in my opinion. And, you know, I I know I brought down the mood a little bit. We were talking about disappointment. I'll bring up the mood a little bit more. Uh, What has been sort of the, the, again, it could be a coach, uh, it could be a player, the sort of unsung hero for the season, the guy who's sort of gone a little bit under the radar, I mean, maybe it's the crowd. Maybe it's the the crowd at Jersey Mike's Arena. It has been better this season. Maybe has that contributed to some wins. But for you guys, who has been sort of like the unsung hero for the season so far? Well, in my opinion, I think it's been Caleb McConnell. He was talked very. He was criticized. He was criticized a lot earlier on the season uh, in terms of his lack of production on offense. But he's more than made up for it on the defensive end. And I mean, this is a guy that should be talked about as defensive player of the year for the Big Ten. Because he's just completely hounding guys. He had about two or three steals last night. Um, he just just sticks to his guys so well. And he can turn that defense into offense. Um, hasn't shot the, the ball too well this year. But I, I just don't think people are singing his praises enough this year in terms of the defensive player he is. Absolutely, Sean. And I think... You know, this is our first year without Jacob Young. Caleb McConnell, nobody could fill in Jacob Young's shoes. He's just a completely unique player who I don't think we'll ever see the likes of again. Caleb McConnell has been helping out, filling in his shoes on the steals. I mean, we saw those steals last night, and we just saw Caleb McConnell is fantastic. He sticks with with the guy he's guarding. You know, he when, he when he's shooting well, he shoots at that turnaround fadeaway at the foul line, maybe the top of the key if he gets up high enough. Um, absolutely, Sean, I agree with you. Cale McConnell's been such a force on defense and really should be considered for Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, but for me, I've loved what I've seen so far from Andre Hyatt. This is his first year at Rutgers. He's a sophomore. I'm very, very happy that he's a sophomore because he is showing so many signs of development. And I like the way he comes off the bench. And I think, you know, it's weird now because we have a bunch of players that kind of do all everything that Jacob Young did. You know, Cale McConnell starts. He plays lots of minutes. Um, never seems to get tired. But Andre Hyatt brings that spark plug right he's you're down by a little bit you're up four or you're down four and you're on a I don't know you're on a scoring jot of three minutes let Andre Hyatt do some work Andre Hyatt could hit a three ball Andre Hyatt could drive he's 6'6 227 pounds he's able to get in you know he could he could get down low he could I mean he could also she could shoot a three he's a guy that could come in and he had a big three last night he tried to change the momentum around a little bit but everybody else kind of fell apart I have loved what I've seen from Andre Hyatt so far, and he's big too. He could block shots as well. I'm really, really excited to see his development at Rutgers. What do you think the over-under is for the rest of the season? If 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 there's 11 games left, six, what are you taking, the over or the under? As of right now, I as, as a realist, I would have to take the under. I have not seen enough from this team for me to believe in them winning over six games, especially with the schedule. And, and the difficulty of it, I don't see a possibility in which they get in some kind of miraculous rhythm and rattle off more than six wins here. I You know, at top, tops, I say four wins for this team as of right now. Now, if they go on a little streak here and start to build up some momentum, then we'll have a, a different conversation. But as of right now, after last night, 
I don't think that this team can, you know, get it together in, in you know, the span of a month and a half uh, after losing so many times in the first three months of the season. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like you said, the the flat footed play that we've seen recently and if not all season, I think it, it, it speaks for middle of the road. You know, if it, if it's six wins, I would say, like you said, four or five, maybe kind of around, around there. Um, I, I just think that there there are too many tough games coming up, like we mentioned on the road against top level competition that, you know, if they did fantastic and maybe they could turn their whole season around. But I think that it's just from what we've seen, especially recently, it just doesn't speak to that happening. Yeah, absolutely. And Brendan, once you asked that question, I started trying to count wins on my fingers. Nebraska Saturday, maybe. That's on the road. Nebraska is a decent home team. We did destroy them when, when we came out. It was probably our best offensive showing of the year. So we have Nebraska on the road. Northwestern on the road, okay, maybe. Michigan State at home, I mean, come on, it, it's Jersey Mike's. We want to go for easy wins. We're gonna we have to skip all the the five straight ranked games. We go to Michigan. We did beat Michigan at home, so maybe that one. Then we have Wisconsin. Maybe I could see us beating Indiana in Bloomington and Penn State at home on Senior Day to round out the season. So that's about two or three, you know, should be must wins. Um, Penn State being the most likely of of those, you know, all the way in March. But besides that, I mean, these are none of these are huge. Rutgers will absolutely 100% win this game. We might go into Nebraska as the underdogs on Saturday just because of, of where the game is being played. You know, six wins, I, I think, is a little generous. I have to take the under on six wins just because this is this is where our schedule gets tough. This is where it gets really, really, really tough. Yeah, it, it, and even, too, it would seem like it would be the, the kind of like cherry on top to end the season where it's, you know, senior day against, you know, Penn State, and then they just drop the ball. You know, whether it's just a flat foot offense and they lose by a lot or they keep it close and it's like last second, you know, shots lose the game. It's just I I, I just see it coming in March. We're going to be all sitting here and it's just, well, hey, another season went by and it's just great. But we couldn't capitalize on the talent. And I just think that that's sort of the season uh, kind of in a nutshell for, for Rutgers men's basketball has just been so close, but yet just not enough. Yeah, I, that's the unfortunate reality of this team. And I think with the losses of Jacob Young and Miles Johnson, we all expected a drop-off, but they still kept the core of Caleb McConnell, Paul Mulcahy, Geo Baker, and Ron Harper Jr., who was supposed to be the most talented out of them all. So, and, you know, now and you had Cliff filling the shoes of Miles Johnson, which, you know, that, that's exactly where you signed him up to be. He was a four-star recruit, and, you know, even though you're losing miles, you weren't expecting such a big drop off, um, and, and there really hasn't been a drop off. But you know, team wise, there has been, and unfortunately, um, that, that's really the reality of the situation. When you lose two guys that you've had as your core for about three years, uh, j just dissipate for, from your program. And that's what I don't understand. It's just you know, like we talked about, the star power potential is there for this team, but. Is it because they haven't gelled well all season? Is it because the coaching staff maybe didn't put them in the in the right position with, with Steve Peichel and, and stuff? I mean, I, I really don't have an answer for for why. And, and it's not. I, I guess you could call it frustrating, you know, because again, the potential and and it's just on paper they're a really good team, and it's just we haven't seen that. So, like, what is the reason for it not being so well this season? Yeah, I think, uh, I I would say. 
yeah, no, you're right that they just haven't just haven't gelled together that well. Uh, w- when you looked at the 2019 and 2020 teams, you could see just like a very unique chemistry. Like they just all knew each other so well. And um, and an example of this that I'll give you that you know it's an off court example. But Geo Baker came out with a culture changer shirt that had uh, an animated graphic of each of the guys on the team that were you know, on the teams between 2019 and 2020. Um, and at Jacob Young on it, Miles Johnson, Ronald Jr., Montez Mathis, all those guys. And, you know, again, Montez Mathis, another guy that transferred that we didn't talk about. But, you know, point being that these guys were just such a close-knit group. Um, and, and you saw it off the court. You saw it on the court. They were just so bonded. I just don't see that from this squad. Um I don't see the same level of chemistry and you can tell when they play, there's just so much miscommunication that goes on that it leads to breakdowns on the offense and the defense. And really that's been one of the, one of the biggest weaknesses of this team uh, all throughout the year. Yeah, Sean, you're absolutely right. And you know, it comes with, like you're saying last year, those guys were developed together. Those guys came up together. Those guys all missed the tournament together. Those guys all wanted to go to the tournament together. Those guys had the opportunity to go to the tournament together, then was ripped away from them. I mean, Akwasi Aboa, too, is one of those players who would have been in the tournament twenty in 2020, but obviously that didn't happen. And, you know, someone like Akwasi Aboa is, is very much missed on this team. A guy who's able to hit the three ball and then run down court and, and defend. But, you know, I really do think it is a chemistry. Sean, you're right. I mean, it's I know, Sean, I think about it in that last game of the, of one of the last plays of the Purdue game um, when we thought the game was pretty much over when Caleb McConnell looked like he was cutting baseline from the right side. And we were watching that. We we're like, what just happened? Paul yeah. tried to, to give him a bounce pass. Right. But Caleb backed up and, and the ball rolled out of bounds. We're like, well, Paul just threw this game away. Like, you know, Caleb McConnell's cutting in. Of course, those guys came up together and those guys have been together so long. Um, but it was just, you know, a sloppy play and like a. And of course, Rutgers came out on top of that game. But I mean, it was just such a key point of that game where they just kind of. You know, they lost that, and of course, last night too. I mean, we see like lo- Rutgers could be Lob City sometimes. We've seen Miles Johnson slam down alley oops. We've seen Cliff, who's incredibly athletic, slam down some alley oops. But last night and earlier in the season, we'll see like Paul lob it up to Ron, who's like not even looking at him, and Ron has to like somehow catch the ball and, and try to throw in a you know some layup if if, if anything. Um, and you know, I think communication is a big part of it. And it's also just. I think some of the attitude of like we're gonna go to the tournament together, like Rutgers, Rutgers is no longer on a tournament drought. Now it's let's get back to March Madness. It's not we're gonna be the Rutgers team to take us to March Madness, and now it's guys who some guys have been to March Madness, some guys are still in their first years on the banks. You know they've transferred from other schools, they may have played in the tournament in a different school. They're just everybody's still trying to figure it out. So I think on paper, I, I honestly if this I you know I, I'm confident in saying that. On paper, I think some of these players are better as a whole. This team is better than last year in terms of the staff, in terms of the personnel that we put on the floor. But I mean, basketball is so much more than what's on paper. And the product that we put out last year and the year before with communication and some guys like Jacob Young and Miles Johnson, who are just so fantastic, um, you know, I think we're just kind of missing that this year. We just, you know, every game it feels like well, there's just one aspect of, the, of Rutgers that's missing, right? Last night it was, it was defense against Minnesota. It was. Also defense too. I mean, they, they lit us up, and of course against Iowa, the defense was there. The defense was fantastic. So it's just Rutgers is kind of never here nor there. They're always somewhere in the middle. You guys mentioned that that Geo and Ron were were thinking about going into the NBA last season. Do you think that as a team, 
you know, with the culture and everything that they're trying to develop, you think that kind of hurt them when they said that they were coming back? Almost like, like you said, a lot of the guys left from the previous seasons, whether transferred or moved on, um, and that was the core for the for the team for so long. And then, you know, Gio and, and Ron were like, okay, you know, let's let's take our shot. And then they were like, well, no, no, we'll come back and we'll try and run it back. Um, do you think that can sort of hurt team chemistry when some guys try and move on but then say, no, no, we're the stars, we're going to come back? I don't think so. Maybe I, I'm not in that locker room. I don't know those guys. So maybe it does, and there's some unknown effect uh, that, that may occur, which I, I'm not aware of. But from the outside looking in, I can't see you know a possibility where that would hurt the team. Um, it, I would think that it should help the team because you feel relieved that you got two leaders who are going to continue and you don't have to take on the reins just yet. You know, so I, I think that those two guys coming back really should have helped this team. And we were all preparing to, to see a, a Scarlet Knights team without Gio and Ron. And that, you know, that, that may have come a year earlier than it should have. But now, it, th- this year almost, and, and it shouldn't do this, but it almost leaves a sour taste in the mouth to, to what's been a great career for those two guys. They completely flipped around this program, and now they kind of le- they have to leave on such a bad note, which sucks for those guys, and it sucks for the Scarlet Knights fans because at, at, as, someone, as someone who came in as a freshman in 2018, I've watched those two guys for my entire time here at Rutgers. Same, uh, I'm sure Gideon, uh, you're the same. Uh, Brandon, I know you're a grad student, but I, I, I think you've seen Geo your, your entire yeah, time. Yeah, 2018, I came in. Yep. Um, yeah. So, like I said, it, it just it hurts me to see those two guys leave on such a bad note. It's almost kind of like, like you know, when an athlete, like a professional athlete continues to play on past his time and um you hate to see him leave when he's just so far outside of his prime where he's looking like one of the worst players on the field like i i I almost wish that that they could have put together a team that made the tournament one last year and gave him one last shot and unfortunately that's just not going to happen this year yeah and you bring it up like exactly i i think of that with Eli Manning's career, you know, the, the giants, you know, won two Super Bowls under, under, you know, his leadership. And then all of a sudden, you know, after they took the picture with everybody on the boat, it's just their, their, <laughs> their careers uh, for all the players on the yeah. giants team have just suffered. And for Eli, it just, for me being a Dallas fan, I always respected him as a player. And I respected that he had that, um, you know, the, the streak of act most active games. And then the fact that um, it was taken away from him, uh, and and they started Geno Smith in his place. It's like you said. It's just some guys deserve that sort of Cinderella story, you know, kind of right off into the sunset. And I felt like that with with Gio and Ron, that should have been the case. You know, they came back. They wanted to do it for the school, you know, for the fans. And it's just a, a disappointment, like you said, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth because you were expecting so much more. I, I brought up the topic because you know I wanted to see if it was something that was a possibility that maybe people weren't thinking about. I don't think it's the case. I think that because they have a lot of like skin in the wall or on the wall, you know, for for this uh, school and what they did to turn around the actual program, um, I think that that really was like, you know what, these guys they 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 deserve to come back for one more season because they're doing it for us as a team. Um, but I just I even think about you know like we talked about earlier with Aaron Rodgers last offseason how he was talking about oh you know I, I want to leave and you know might 
flirt with going to another team. It's just sometimes that can hinder the team culture. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem like it's that bad this year, but I do wonder what goes on into the locker room for, for the, for the Rutgers basketball team. And if that did factor into the season at all. Yeah, definitely be, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to know, you know, what happens behind closed doors, what happens in the locker room. But I mean, the guys were saying like Rutgers basketball of the last five years, four years is nothing without Geo Baker and Ron Harper Jr. Literally nothing. This team is we don't we don't land Cliff. We don't land anybody. Maybe not even Paul. Paul is one of the best high school players New Jersey has ever seen. He triple double his entire career in high school. Maybe Paul goes somewhere else. Rutgers is literally nothing without Ron and Geo. And you know we saw. I don't know if you guys saw this, but Geo or Ron, excuse me, tweeted out last night. He said we'll be something along the lines of we'll be better. I promise. Just just stay with us. Um, and put a heart emoji there. And I mean, this guy could have tried his way to make millions of dollars as a professional basketball player in the best basketball league in the world where his dad made a name for himself. But this, you know, this, you know, of course we can talk about the money and NIL and NIL wasn't official, you know, when Ron and Gio left after last season, but they came back to do so much for this team. And, you know, before they left, they did so much for this team. Anybody that's down last night because of the game, of course you should be down. It was a, it was a tough loss at home. You know, the love for Ron and Gio should not change. You know, you could be disappointed, but, I mean, you can't be upset at these guys. It, sure, they lost, you know, the game last night did not, didn't go the way we wanted. We wouldn't be complaining competitive basketball without them. There would not have been a sold-out crowd without Ron and Gio last night. Maryland would have walked all over us last night even more. They would have won the game by double digits if Ron and Gio weren't there. And, and I think that's why I think that this season, it's not disappointing. I think it's disheartening because when you say it's disheartening, it's almost like there was so much love put in by the players and um, the players really care about the team and the fans. And it's just there's – I think I would be less upset if there was one thing that you can point to and say, okay, this is why they're they're not doing so well. Um, but there's just nothing that you can really say is is the reason um, other than just maybe they haven't gelled as well as previous years. But I think, you know, going forward, there is the potential to uh, to grow, to definitely learn um, from this season. You do wonder if, if, you know, the pandemic and everything getting used to that still is, is just a little bit of a factor. But I think going into next season, you know, you're going to have guys come in. You're going to have, like we talked about, Paul McKay, you know, kind of stepping up as as a leader. Cliff is going to be around, and, and he's a stud around the rim. Um, I, I do think that you do have a good core going forward, but you have to build on that. And how you build on it is bringing in new people, and that's what Steve Peichel's here for. Yeah, and I said this earlier, but I, I just have so much trust in Coach Peichel to have a good recruiting class year in, year out. Even if it's not three, four-star recruits, he can bring in guys and just implement them uh, according to his culture because he's just such a good coach. He knows how to bring in bubble guys like Geo Baker, biggest example, and just implement them and have them be useful and, and you know help the team be be productive. So I, I'm nervous yet excited to see where this program goes without the the two of the most important athletes uh, that have ever come to Rutgers I, I think it's fair to say that uh to, to Gio and Ron because they brought this team to you know, a national tournament appearance for the first time in about 20 years and so w with that accomplishment I think they deserve those flowers of look you guys will always be uh in Rutgers infamy or not infamy but you guys will always be uh very big like very well-known figures uh on the banks so 
you know they're they're right up there um with the likes of um some of the biggest Rutgers athletes Quincy Dubia I mean Leonte Carew was at the game last night got a standing ovation uh Sebastian Joseph Day um Sanu Sanu was just activated off the IR too Kimiko Ture uh these are all guys that have made a, a a very big name for themselves at Rutgers and I think Gio and Ron deserve to be right up there but you know moving on um now you now you look to see who's going to be the next Gio and Ron. Who's going to be the next dynamic duo that takes Rutgers back to the national tournament? And there's a lot of question marks around that right now. Yep, plenty of question marks. We got about eight, nine minutes left here on the Wednesday Crew. We're going to step aside. Following this break, we have rapid fire our final segment here on the Wednesday Crew at WRSU FM, New Brunswick. Welcome back for the final eight minutes here on the Wednesday Crew at WRSU.org. Sean Ed Carney, Brendan with me, and I am Gideon Fox here. For the last part of the show, we're going to do our rapid-fire segment, just as Billy Joel said. We're going to go to the NBA first. Talked a lot about college basketball, about Rutgers. We're going to go to the NBA. What happens with James Harden, Sean? Let's get right to it. This is a really interesting topic because James Harden has already been on two teams, well, three teams in his entire career, but two teams in the past uh, couple of years, and now he's looking to make it three, depending on what happens in the free agency. He says he's not happy in a situation because he wants to win, and, you know, that's a really interesting comment because they have all the pieces you would possibly need to, to be a winning basketball team, and somehow they're not the number one seed right now, and they're not just dominating the NBA like they should be um, with three MVP guys on their team. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with James Harden. There's been talks of, hey, maybe he comes to Philly. Um, you know, he tests uh, uh, like the waters in free agency. Maybe he stays with Brooklyn. So could be a huge topic uh, over the next couple of months. I, I just I feel like that this is it just becomes such a distraction, you know, for the team. And and like you said, they're they're they should be dominating the competition. And unfortunately, they've kind of just stumbled a little bit. And it's almost like you know man, like you can see that this is a great team. We have built Brooklyn to be a respectable NBA franchise. And for so many years, it wasn't. It's like, finally, like you're right there. And it's like what we were talking about, you know, before with Rutgers basketball, it's like, you can just see the end of the tunnel and it's there and it's, it's tangible, but then, you know, something happens and it just doesn't, doesn't work out. And, you know, the whole Kyrie situation too, it's just this whole season for Brooklyn is it's been great in some moments, but at sometimes it just feels like it's a, it's, it's a, such a distraction and, and trying to deal with a lot of these high caliber players. It's almost like, is that being a detriment to the team? But yeah, I, I I'm very curious to see where it's going to go with Harden in the future. Yeah. And you know, Harden, of course, I'll be interested to see what happens and what happens to the Nets in general. Cause we've been talking about it too. We talked about it. I know a little bit earlier about how NBA teams are building these superstar teams and, you know, these teams that you could pretty much map out exactly which games are going to win and when they're going to win an NBA championship. And had everything gone right for the Brooklyn Nets, James Harden was happy. You know, Kyrie Irving, you know, COVID wasn't a factor, right? COVID never happened. These Brooklyn Nets would be terrifying to play against um, with those big three. And, of course, there weren't the workload issues and there weren't, you know, and those big three played every single game or, or most games together. This Brooklyn team would be terrifying. So I think... It's kind of maybe James Harden's the start of the unraveling of the Brooklyn Nets, who never really got too much 
you know, going. They didn't win a championship. They made a couple of playoff runs, but they didn't really get things started with James Harden. And it's it. We've been teased even to in the playoffs last season. You know, it's just it was Kevin Durant, and then Harden got hurt. Um, and then Kyrie was out. So it's just, you know, it, there was so much promise um, going into these past two seasons. And, you know, it's just, it, again, it's right there as, as as a fan. I was a New Jersey Nets fan, you know, when, when, when they were uh, still in New Jersey. And just to kind of see, you know, there was so much hype. And then now it's just kind of disappointment. And, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But I still think they got a shot um you know to to win a championship but whether or not it happens this season or down the line I don't know it's tough to say yeah 100% and you look at the rest of the NBA another team that hasn't been panning out are the, the Lakers right they, they they signed Russell Westbrook expecting him to be a huge piece for them to add to LeBron and AD and that I mean they've fallen completely flat they're 24 and 24 and that is not at all where they expected to be at this point in the season. No, not at all. And you know what? Just to combine everything we just talked about, the Lakers are coming off a 10-point defeat of the Brooklyn Nets. In Brooklyn, the Lakers won 106-96 to last night. And, I mean, look, we eight, look that, that's a good game for the Lakers. You held the, next, the Nets to under 100. But, you know, AD got hurt. And you, had eight, you were trying to lie on AD and, and LeBron. And, you know, LeBron's getting to the end of his career. And I think these are... I think two with the with the Nets and the Lakers, it's kind of two failures of the NBA super status team. These teams never really reached the status of the Golden State Warriors of a couple years ago, where you're just hitting every single shot and losing. You know, you could count the amount of games they lose on your on your hands. Like it's it was incredible, and the, the Nets and Lakers just never really got to that upper echelon. They were so close; they were right below it. And then you know, I think this is the beginning of the unraveling of both of them. Uh, and you brought up a great point. These superstar teams, it just shows that, you know, with any sort of league, development and drafting players will always win out. Um, you know, you should have sprinkled in superstars in there. But I do think that when it comes to building a sustained franchise like the Patriots, you know, um, like teams that we've seen um, who have just created these dynasties um, like the Golden State Warriors, the Lakers, you know, um, you know, you, you have to have people that are in place that are going to be there for a longer period of time. Um, and unfortunately with these two teams, it's just not the case. Yeah. Well, another topic, Sean Payton retiring today makes it nine head coaching vacancies in the NFL and some pretty, pretty big question marks too. Um, you have the Miami Dolphins who have, have a very young team with Tua Tagovailoa what are they going to do at head coaching? Um, the Giants just hired a GM from the Bills. Now they now they just have to fill the head coaching spot. You got um, the I'm trying to think here. Who else have vacancies? I know that. Um, who does? Who does? Well, you also have Chicago. You have Chicago. Yep. Chicago just hired Ryan Poles too. Yep. out of, of Kansas City. Jacksonville, so. obviously. Jacksonville, obviously. Did you guys see the quote Urban Meyer had earlier today? No, no. So I was when I was digging around a little bit during the other commercial break or quick break. Um, let me find the exact quote. Um, he was on an interview today. I'll find where the interview was, but he said, and this is a quote: "It was the worst experience I've had in my professional lifetime." Wow. Well, and he I, compared it to, and I, I, I somewhat understand because. He compared it to being an NF, uh, college coach where he could recruit. And it's mm -hmm. you know something with Shiano, too. Mm -hmm. Shiano just never really cracked it in the NFL and comes back to college and just recruits like nobody's business. So I somewhat understand that. I somewhat understand where Urban Meyer's 
where where he's coming from, right? This is we talked about it earlier in the show, but I mean it's a completely different game, completely different style. So, well, and and the difference between I think a Miami and a Chicago, you have Las Vegas and Minnesota. Those are the other ones too, and yeah. those have developed quarterbacks right. at that at, at those specific teams. Right. So, where do you go from there? Do you move on from these guys, or do you actually just stick with them? And is the head coaching hiring a part of that too? Right. And Minnesota has GM and head coaching vacancies. Right? They just hi- they just fired their GM too, um, who who drafted pretty well. I mean, they drafted Josh- Justin Jefferson. Um, you know, un- unfortunately signed Kirk Cousins to that huge contract which yeah. you know you could say it panned out you could say it didn't but uh you know the, I, I in my opinion they're one very uh, a good head coach away from being a contender with, with the team they've built yeah and it seems like that the New York Daily News is reporting that uh Brian Dable is the favorite to be the Miami head coach and then that uh defensive coordinator for Dallas Dan Quinn and Brian Flores are the finalists it seems like for the New York Giants head yeah. coaching position so things dominoes are starting to fall it's just a matter of when that first big coach hiring is going to happen yeah so I think Dable is going to be a home run hire for for any team he goes to with that cliffhanger, we'll see what happens next time. Maybe next week we'll know a little bit more. We could talk about more about what the new NFL coaches will do with their new NFL teams. But that has been it for the Wednesday crew. I am Gideon Fox alongside Brendan and Sean Ned Carney. 